Well, again, open your Bibles, if you've closed them already, to Philippians chapter 2. It's uh, been our cornerstone verse, holding forth the word of life, and we've been taking these three Sundays, the previous two and this one, to explore just the context of, of where that phrase has come from and how it's been uh, used uh, in Paul's ministry. And we've talked about this in the sense of working out our salvation with fear and trembling, we talked about holding out, holding forth the word of life. And now we come to this final section, verses 17 and 18, of pouring out, pouring out our lives, uh, well, in a sacrificial uh, aspect of this life and ministry. So as we consider these, these verses, um, it's really quite, quite basic in terms of a, of a virtue, a value, a um, for our life and our ministry, and it's really these simple words, pour out your life, pour out your life. Verse 17a uh, gives us just that admonition, doesn't it? Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. Now he says even if, and, and it has the sense there is a condition, we have the if clause there, but the way the New Testament language works is that there are certain ways you put the words together, and if it's connected with the indicative phrase, you really could translate it as since. Since I'm being poured out as a drink offering. It's a, a, a matter of fact, and it's an, a reality of following the mind of Christ. The traits that are described here earlier were, were blameless, innocent, without blemish. And we discovered that those terms describing who these people of God are appearing as stars in a dark sky, faultless, blameless, are cultic terms. And by cultic, we mean uh, sacrificial terms. They're related to how the offerings were placed on the altar and, and given up to the Lord. We read just an example of that in uh, Exodus 29, didn't we? It's just an, an example of, of how that kind of cultic language was used. And the sacrifices of the Lord were to be spotless, blameless, pure. Well, now he continues this language of a poured out drink offering. And we, we read of that. It was the, the last of the offerings that were given for either the burnt offering or the peace offering. And as we read in Exodus, it actually was the ordination ceremony uh, for the, the priesthood. Well, these traits now come, we see this drink offering, we see that it's poured out upon the sacrifice of the people's service. Their liturgy is the actual word, their liturgia. And, and so we're, we're coming again to this idea of sacrifice for the Lord. And it's, a, it's not an if in the sense of, well, maybe it will happen. It's an if in the sense that since you're children of God, you will experience and encounter opportunities to pour out your life. Now, the reality is that this is flowing from the life of Christ. In verses 5 and 7, just above our passage here, here is... Paul's admonition 
to the church, to believers, to have the mind of Christ. He says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men. The Lord Jesus Christ in His ministry, the eternal Son of God, emptied Himself, uh, counting equality with God, not something to grasp, not something to use to His own advantage in His life on earth. Now, He didn't stop being God. It's not what the passage means. But that He took on the form of a servant. He emptied himself of his glory, rightly his as the eternal Son of God, but set it aside, not in his being, but in his exercise to be a servant. He emptied himself. Some, my translation actually turns it a bit and says, made himself nothing. But it, it's really emptied himself. Some of your more literal translations will retain that there. And now Paul says, as he's gone through this, he says, have this mind among yourselves and follow the example of Christ. And now, look, I'm being poured out. The drink offering was that offering which, you know, you... You tip the cup and, and it's gone. There's nothing left, nothing held back in reserve. Every drip, drop is gone and poured out. Now Paul used this same motif a little bit later when he's talking to uh, Timothy. In 2 Timothy 4.6, Paul says, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure has come. He recognizes that he's near martyrdom. He's near capital punishment. He's about to be executed for preaching about Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God, raised from the dead. And they're going to kill him for that. And he says, I'm, I'm already being poured out. My time has come. But in this context of Philippians, Paul is a little bit more optimistic. His, if you go back and read chapter 1, he really gets the sense that, yeah, I'm in prison, uh, but I, don't, I really don't think this is the end. I think I'll be released and I'll come to you soon. The Lord seems to be indicating that and, and I hope to be with you soon. He has a sense of, of hope and anticipation of release, not near death. So his life, including the imprisonment in which he's in right now, remember Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Philemon are the prison epistles. He writes while he's in his first imprisonment. And he, he says this, this whole process of giving my life, yes, ultimately to that place where he writes to Timothy, where now the time for my departure is near. The, the whole process is one of being spent, of being spilt as a drink offering. Not just the one climactic ending. In fact, the word here uh, about, uh, about uh, being poured out is spendomai. We get the word spend from it. You like that you have to end the amai on it in order to be Greek, just like you end the sma on the end of a word to be Dutch. Spendamai. 
He's being spent. And he talks about this uh, to the Corinthians, which was a very difficult church group to work with. He, I mean, he, he brought them the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and, and established and planted the church there in Corinth, but they were, they were just lusty for power and position within any aspect of life, including church. And Paul has to keep coming back to them and say, you know, forget about the power stuff within the dynamic of your, of your life together. You know, serve one another, wait for one another, recognize one another. And even in the way that they treat him, he says to them, look, I'm not like some of your super apostles who come, but I came humbly. But at the closure, near the close of his second letter, which, well, what we call 2 Corinthians 12, 15, he says, I will very gladly spend and be spent for your souls, though the more I love, the less I'm loved. That's what ministry is like. Certainly for the Apostle Paul. I will very gladly spend and be spent for your souls, though the more I love, the less I am loved in return. His ministry of exhortation, of admonition, of correction and direction not always well received by the people that needed to be corrected, directed, exhorted, admonished. And though that is the expression of ultimate love to show people God's way, God's way of life and living as children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked, twisted generation, but the people still respond, if that's what you're about, if that's what this ministry is about, we don't want to have anything to do with it. And the pushback comes. But he says, nonetheless, I will very gladly spend and be spent for your souls. Though the more I love, the less I'm loved in return. Uh, Fred Craddock tells the illustration of this kind of spending. We'll change the analogy a little bit from the liquid. And that could be dangerous as an illustration here. Uh, let's, let's make it a little bit more uh, solid. He says, you know, oftentimes we think of our life and sacrifice as a big bill. You pay it, and it's gone. This happens to just be a 10. Um, he uses the illustration of a $1,000 bill. I just didn't have one laying around. <laughs> so, so he used the 10. That's about what mine, mine's not even that. I'm like a one. I should have used a one in pennies. Well, when you think of giving your life as a sacrifice, poured out, drink off from you think, once and it's done. That's not how the Christian life works, is it? Now you know where we're going. It's like coins. There are a lot of pennies in here. And, and you, come to, you come to the church parking lot on a snowy morning, and you have to shovel And then, and then you get out of the car and you get to walk in it. And, and you, you, but you do all things, like the, the text says, without grumbling, without complaining. That was a quarter. <laughs> and you go, that's just one day. 
70 times 7. Your life is just a sacrifice. Little by little. Penny by penny. And, and that's hard. That's, that's wearying. Tiring. But do we and can we do it gl- gladly? That's where he's going. Well, he's not only poured out, but it's poured upon. Notice verse 17 goes on for Paul in his understanding. He says, even if I am poured out as a drink offering, where? Upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. The drink offering, the libation, was the last you know, kind of thing that was poured over the offering. The burnt offering. The peace offering. And Paul says to the church, your sacrifice, the one that's on the altar as the burnt offering, is the real deal. And my life, my life is just the final touch, the, the libation over the top of your sacrificial giving to God. He, he, he elevates the church as the priority. He recognizes that He's been sent by and from them. And that they have supported Him. He mentions early in chapter 1, and He will again chapter 3 and 4, about their financial support that they have given for the apostolic ministry. And He recognizes that He was sent by the church in Antioch, and the Philippians joined in hands with that church and support Paul. And he's, Philippians is really a, a, a ministry letter of thanksgiving for their gift. And he seems to be calling that financial contribution and support for gospel ministry as their, their sacrificial offering, of which now his life is going forth and being spent for the sake of the gospel. But you see how he elevates the church and, and, and how then, by implication, we are to be a sacrificial people. Our, our support. Well, as children of God, we are to bear the character and the nature of God. We, we emulate that. We mentioned Ephesians 5 a couple weeks ago. We'll we'll bring it up again. Ephesians 5. Actually, maybe it was last Sunday. Ephesians 5.1. Be imitators of God as beloved children. Be imitators of God as beloved children. He doesn't say imitate God in order to be children of God. He says since you are children of God, look like Him. Act like your heavenly Father. Manifest your Father's ways. He goes on to say, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us. How do we love? And gave Himself up as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. What does love look like? It doesn't look like taking. It looks like giving. Love looks like dying. 
Love looks like sacrificing for the good of another, not taking for your own personal benefit. Love is about giving for the good of another all the way, all the pennies, all the nickels, all the quarters, till death do us part. Paul says that if he has to die, he will find great joy and satisfaction as being the final touch to your great sacrifice. Their lives are intertwined with one another. Partners in the ministry. Poured out and poured upon. Now the third aspect, we'll go into verses 17 again, uh, into 18. Yes, even if I am poured out as a drink offering, he says what? I am glad and rejoice with you all. I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Now, in the New Testament language, it's kind of redundant. The, the word joy is there four times. My translation says glad and rejoice, but it's really I will joy and joy. I will joy and rejoice. Joy, 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 joy. He, 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 this is important to him. The word is here is his Lord and Savior Jesus Christ gave His life for the forgiveness of sin and of fellowship with God. And so Paul can find the fullness of joy and rejoicing in that he is fulfilling the purposes of God. Joy, again, is in the New Testament a verb, and they are here. It, it doesn't come across that way when, it, when the translations, most of the modern translations, say, be glad. That seems like kind of passive. Like it just happens to you. Like you fall in love. No, you don't. You pursue love. That's what he says in 1 Corinthians 13. You don't fall in love. You pursue it. Same thing with joy. You don't just be glad. No, it's, it's more active then. It says, joyous, rejoice. That's our kind of our verb for it. It's an active reality. How can, it's not a feeling, not primarily. It's an action. It is a feeling in the sense that it is a sense of completion, a sense of fulfillment, a sense of contentment. So when, when these, these men come Sunday morning and they begin to lay out their pennies and their nickels and their quarters and they're, they're clearing the sidewalks for us and making trails for us to, to come in. And once, they, once, once it's done, they sit back and they, they can look and say, yeah, well done, job completed. And that's joy. That's satisfaction. That's contentment. That's fulfillment. We did what we were called to do. Nothing more, nothing less. But with it is a great sense of calling and satisfaction. That's joy. This helps us a little bit because uh, we, we have the same Spirit of God as Paul. 
And he's sitting in prison, and he says, be glad, rejoice. Like, what? Oh, that's Paul. He's different than us. Well, maybe to some degree. But you read carefully his prayer requests for the church. And he's constantly asking the prayer that, that he would have strength, that he would have boldness and courage. And as a result, then, knowing that he's fulfilling his purpose and have that joy. Now, he needed the support and prayer and encouragement just like every one of us. But if, if this joy is more a sense of fulfilling God's calling and God's purpose, and when you're in the thick of it, and the aha moment comes, hey, this is the way Jesus did it. Wow! Father, you are so good to let me follow the way of the cross. Amazing. Now, we have different temperaments and we have different personalities. And so, that those, those realities of contentment, satisfaction, fulfillment, and then the expression of those will, will all look a little different. And, and some of us have things broken on the inside. You know, it's easy to see the broken bone, but it's hard to see the broken spirit, hard to see the the illness of the mind. And those are the ravages of the fall. They aren't there necessarily because of any particular or personal sin. But we each have our areas of weakness and prone to wander. It doesn't have to be only the intentional disobedience. But it's it's these areas of weakness and areas of brokenness. Lord, I, I just can't get there. But we have the same Spirit, which when we call upon Him and we, we, we recognize who we are in Christ, children of God, without blame, before Him. Oh, yeah, they're going to accuse you of all kinds of stuff but blameless before God, pure with God, singleness of mind and heart. That's your position. That's your identity. That's who you are. Now, allow the Spirit of God to work in you this attitude of gratitude that brings forth a rejoicing and a gladness that, no, though in my weakness... Great is His grace. The weaker that I am, the more powerful His grace works through me. It's not me. And so we, we come to this place where we can, yes, be rejoicing and glad. You know, before, before I came to Michigan and even after a while living here, you know, I was kind of in my own little what do you call it, bubble, you know, being, being on campus seminary housing and just studying the Bible and studying theology and you're in your own little world. And finally we get out and we're in life and church ministry and finally, we go, oh, this is West Michigan. Huh, I've been here for three years and I never really knew it. 
And, and then you go on and, and you, hear about, you hear about seasonal affective disorder and things like that. And, oh, come on. We had winter in Minnesota. Colder, deeper, more sun. Took me a while. I'm slow. Yeah, it can be, it can be 20 below zero. And, and it crunches under your feet and your nose hairs stick together when you breathe. But the sun shines out and the sky's blue. And it's warm in your heart. Yeah, we, we live in a, a place that is quite cloudy. And, you know, it does have an effect on us. I know you're going to say, Winter is the result of the fall. <laughs> yeah, so are lakes. And there won't be any in the new heaven and the new earth. Sorry, I don't know what you're going to do for water skiing, but maybe the river will be really wide. And you, I don't know. No, so here's, here's a little practicum. And it's something that I've tried to do this beginning of this year. It's not easy. I have to admit I've already failed a few days. But whether at the start of the day or the end of the day, to jot down something, I, I put it in a little Excel spreadsheet just so I can track numbers and dates and stuff easier, quicker. Something for which I'm thankful. Something for which I can praise God. One of the first ones of the year we were walking through Hemlock Park, and there's this, there's this beech tree. Um, no, what was it? Yeah, it was a beech growing out of a hemlock, or vice versa. One of the, I'd have to look it up on my spreadsheet. It's a, it, wow, look at that. Who'd have thought? Thank you, Lord, for letting me see that. Maybe I can grow too. You know, just little things. Just it. it there's no magic to it, but it's a discipline, it's a behavior, it's a pattern in which I can reorient my mind and my heart to gladness rather than grief and sadness. Think about that. Well, not only do we pour out and pour upon and cheer up, but we're to cheer with. If you notice, verse 17, 18, we repeat this phrase again, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. The rejoice with you all and the rejoice with me are actually all one word. We have to put it in an English phrase. Rejoice with you. Rejoice with me. But it's the one word. It's a compound word that, that brings the togetherness together. We rejoice together. This motif of suffering began earlier in the letter. And the, the, the ministry is one of mutual suffering. So go back a page or two. Philippians chapter 1, verse 29 and 30. Paul says to the believers, it's been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in Him, but also suffer for His sake. Engaged 
in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Their lives are intertwined in this ministry partnership. And following Christ is not only believing in Him, but it is following Him the way of the cross. Not that, not that our death is going to save anybody, but the pouring out of our lives is to express the same kind of love and affection for the body of Christ. We're mutually engaged in this conflict and in suffering for the name of Jesus, the name that we bear. And, and what began in chapter 1 as a concern, well, verse 25 of chapter 1, he says, your progress and joy in the faith. That's why Paul is writing. I want to see your progress and your joy in the faith, in the midst of the suffering, through the suffering. And, and he says, remember the opening of this paragraph? Do it all without grumbling or complaining or arguing. He'll say this to the church in Rome as well. Uh, Romans 12, verse 15 and 16. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep and live in harmony with one another. Don't be haughty, but associate with the lowly and don't be wise in your own sight. I mean, that's a, a long-handed way of saying don't grumble and complain about one another, but live in harmony. How? Rejoicing with those who rejoice and weeping with those who weep. Our attitudes toward one another go a long way toward determining how effectively we're going to hold fast the word and hold out the word. Holding fast and holding forth is just sandwiched right in the middle of this whole paragraph. And it's surrounded, it's surrounded by the grumbling at the beginning and the rejoicing at the end. It's, it's fascinating the way Peter, Peter, Paul, Mary, Paul, Paul designs this <laughs> and, and puts this cohesively together. He's saying you're, you're holding forth the word of life will be as effective as you are at not grumbling and complaining to one another and how effective you are at rejoicing and being glad together. So that, that does dovetail with the teaching of Jesus, isn't it? He says, they, the world, will know that you are my disciples by your love for one another. The way we live together in community, and I, when I say community, I mean church. I'm, I'm trying to be consistent. It doesn't always work. Out there is the neighborhood. In here is community. The way we live in community with one another will determine how effective is holding forth the Word, how effective is our evangelism and our witness and our testimony. We are first and foremost a worshiping community declaring the glories of God in Christ which is our witness. And 
The change begins inside and grows out. How does a tree grow? From the inside out. What's at the core? What sap is coursing through the membranes that produce the leaf and the fruit and the seed? How healthy is our core? Those are good questions for us to ask and evaluate. God's own character is now reflected in His children who bear His likeness as we live it out. And as we reflect God's likeness, then again, will our evangelism be worth anything at all? The Lord has brought us through 90 years. Praise God. The things that we do together on any given Lord's Day, singing praise to Him, reading the Psalms, reading the Scriptures, are things that, yea, the church has done for 2,000 plus years. We have nothing new, nothing innovative, but the Word of God. This is what holds us together. It's what draws us to one another. This Word of God. And by that Word, He's shaping and forming a community here. A community of believers that have over these decades sent forth multitudinous ambassadors for the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Partners, laborers, lives intertwined. We rejoice together. We weep together. But as we go forward, I don't know but that there's another 2,000 years of church history. I hope not. I hope there's not two more. Come, Lord Jesus. But until He comes, He has us here for a purpose. It's to build one another up. It's to help each other know Christ, grow in His grace, and go for His glory. Some of you might go to hinterlands of the four corners of the earth. And others will go next door. But all with the same message and the same means, the Spirit of God filling and dwelling, equipping, bearing fruit in our lives. I wish I could look ahead and know exactly what our future is going to look like. I can't. God knows, and together we will discern what He has for us. I am eager to see. I am so encouraged by you. Let's rejoice and be glad together. So, Father, we thank you for this word of encouragement. We thank you for the challenge that indeed it is. We ask, Lord, that as we ponder the mind of Christ and the heart of Christ, who in all his glory and all his might still, uh, being, being God, poured out his life. 
for his own, his bride. So, Lord, first and foremost, we need to belong to him. So now we would take that opportunity to devote our lives, dedicate our lives if we've not before, to believe on Christ, depend upon Christ, to trust him and him alone, to give us a right relationship with you, O oh Father, that we might be your children, sons and daughters, born of your spirit, washed clean, without spot and blemish. We would claim that now, believe on Jesus. And as we have done so, we, we want to go forth as children of God. Holy sacrifices, pleasing and acceptable to you in the world, in the midst of a dark place. But, oh God, as we emulate Christ, may we shine as the stars from one degree of glory to another till Jesus comes and makes that glory complete. In the midst of challenge and tough times of bearing the name of Jesus, may we rejoice and be glad. Those that are in tough times, may we weep with them and, and so rejoice with them. Those of us with challenges internally, battling mental health issues, depression, despondency, the blues, seasonal disorders. Lord, may we fix our eyes on Jesus and so rejoice and be glad, satisfied in all that he is for us because he gave himself for us. Take our lives, Lord, and may they be consecrated fully to you. Amen. When you sing, do you think about the words of the songs, especially these old hymns that many of us know by heart, we know very, very well. Take my life and let it be consecrated as Pastor Todd just prayed. Lord, set me apart for you. Take my moments and my days, let them flow with ceaseless praise. Joy in rejoicing amid suffering and do so without grumbling and complaining. Let's sing together. Take my life and let it be. Take my life and let it be Consecrated, Lord, to Thee Take my hands and let them move At the impulse of Thy love At the impulse of Thy love 
seated. 